You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome. Tuesday, October, August 16th, 2022. It's Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. Matt Miguez here. And I'm not going to waste any time today. We've got a lot to get to. I'm just going to jump right in here. Astros released their lineup for this mega matchup tonight that everybody's talking about Justin Verlander versus Dylan Cease two of the best pitchers in all of the MLB especially in the AL but two of the top pitchers in the entire league here's your here's your starting lineup Jose Altuve Yuli Gurriel Jordan Alvarez Alex Bregman Kyle Tucker Oledmus Diaz Jeremy Pena, Mauricio Dubon, Martin Maldonado. You know who I didn't say? Where in the hell is Trey Mancini? Again. I I don't understand why this keeps happening. You put together a three-team deal to bring in a talent of Trey Mancini's caliber. He comes in and hits three home runs in his first three games in an Astros uniform. Yet he's only played in half of the games he's been a part of the team. He's he's been on the Astros roster for 11 games now. He has 35 plate appearances and 33 at-bats. That means on average, he's taking three trips to the plate a game. On average, across the league, guys take four trips to the plate. So what gives? Last night's another prime example of Dusty Baker's mismanagement. Jose Arquiti throwing an absolute gem of a performance. Seven and a third innings, I think it was, when he got taken out. Rafael Montero comes in. What happens? White Sox score three straight runs without ever retiring a batter. If it's not broke, why are you fixing it? James Mesh, the co-host with the most. What's up, buddy? I mean, I'm glad you're fired up about this because it seems like every other game, he's not in. It just doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me why you would work so hard. To acquire a guy like Trey Mancini if he's not going to be a staple in your lineup. Now, I'm not saying he's got to be in the field. I was He doesn't have to be even in the three-hole or the four-hole. He can DH for all I care. He's got to have a part in every game you play. Maybe, maybe not have to be out there for maybe a game or two every once in a while. But the fact that he's only out here half the time. He's played in, I don't understand what's going on. If, if you don't count pinch hitting, he has played six of the 11 games. So just over 50%. Right. Now he's pinch hit here and there. 
in, in a couple of those games that he didn't technically play in. But playing all nine innings, he's played in six of 11 games. That's way too few. A day off every now and again? Yeah, it happens. That's baseball. It's a 162-game season. You're going to give guys days off. Trey Mancini has gotten way too many of them. I, I, I don't understand it. And I really thought that tonight's game, you know, with the way things went down last night and it being such a mega pitching matchup between Verlander and Cease, you, you would think that's the perfect stage for a guy like Trey Mancini. You bring out the big guns. Maybe, maybe maybe there's a reason we don't manage an MLB baseball team. There's got to be some type of details that we don't know about that they're keeping from us as to why Mancini isn't in at some points. If you want to give us your thoughts on why Trey Mancini isn't in the Astros lineup, game hotline 706-0111. Also here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Of course, we'll talk more about the Houston Astros with Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU when we do To the Moon at 5.30 this afternoon. Also at 4.30, Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider is going to join us to give us a season preview on the Tennessee Volunteers. And then at 5 o'clock, we had some hiccups getting them yesterday. We're going to have them today. Glenn Gilbo is going to join us at 5 to talk about the new Skip Bertman book, Everything Matters in Baseball, the Skip Bertman story. So that's your show for today. Here's your poll question of the day. Has the Astros series with the White Sox been lost? Do the Astros tie up the series tonight? Yes or no? Personally, I think the Astros do tie up the series tonight because as well as Dylan Cease has been performing, which, I mean, a 1.93 ERA, he struck out 170 batters. Dylan Cease has had himself a year. However, when you... Dylan Cease was not selected to be in, a, be in the All-Star game. When you have a chip on your shoulder and it's a home game against the best team in the American League, I have a slight feeling that Dylan Cease is going to come out maybe a little too amped up, maybe just a bit too wired, might walk a few more batters than he normally does. The Astros may take advantage of the fact that he's that wired up. I don't know. I could see the Astros doing some damage tonight. James, what do you think? I personally think they tie it up. I think they're too good and too talented of a team to go 0-2 in a series. Have they done it a couple times recently? Yes. But if they want to prove themselves and show why they are still a World Series contender, it comes down to one of these games like tonight. That's what it comes down to. Yep. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, but you see, the the one thing that, that's going to get interesting, though, is we head into... You know, here we are at the end of August, going into September. I mean, baseball season's got a month and a half left. Yeah, we're we're about to hit football season. And when football season hits, that means we're about to hit MLB playoffs. 
And then within a month of that, we got the World Series. Yep. Because it's always in October. And well, right there. Yeah, game game seven of the World Series would be November the fifth. Like we don't there is not much time left. No, not not at all. And uh looking at the playoff picture right now in the American League, the Astros and the Yankees would have the two buys. The Rays would play the Guardians for the wild card. Mariners would play the Blue Jays for a wild card. And then in the NL, Dodgers and Mets getting the bye. And then your two wild cards would be the Phillies and Cardinals and the Padres and the Braves. Now, the Padres and the Braves could be a fun game. It'd be better if Fernando Tatis wasn't on the shelf for 80 games. However, the Braves are starting to figure it out. They're winners of their last seven. The Padres, they have immense talent, but they just can't seem to put it all together. We've talked about that before. They can't. There's always something in their game that hiccups. And the faster that they figure out how to avoid the hiccup, the better off they're going to be. Let's go to the game hotline. T's calling in on this Tuesday afternoon. T, what's up? What you got? Uh, yes, on the poll question, they do win tonight. And as far as for the um, the call last night to take out uh, Ardizzi or however you say his name, um, I think there's something behind all this where the relievers want more money. So they want to pitch to show they can pitch. So I, th- I think there's something up with that because why do you take a guy out in the eighth inning, you know? Yeah, it's it's either it's either that or because because I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think the bigger thing is is that managers today have this mindset of oh I got to make sure my guy's well rested, I got to make sure my guy's well rested, I can't let him pitch too much. Well, here's the thing with the Houston Astros, you have six starters. Let Urquidy go and give him an extra day off, and just be done right. with it. I know. I, I I don't get it. And as far as for uh, the Mancini uh, situation, I totally disagree with you. Because I know you don't remember that yearly Guriel was batting champion last year. Right? Oh, I, I remember. He's not hitting the cover off the ball right now, but so, and you can't sit your down. All the time, you got to at least uh, DH him. So, you know, I- I'm fine with that. I mean, I- I- I'm with you, but at the same time, you could have all three of them in the lineup at the same time. Yuli could play first, Jordan could play in left, and you could DH Mancini. Or vice versa, Mancini could play in left, and you can DH Jordan. Uh, does that take uh, Diaz out of the question? I mean, more times than not, yeah, more than more than likely. I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that a, I don't know that a litmus Diaz needs to be an everyday staple in the lineup. I understand that. Yep, you you right. Uh, well, anyway, guys, love y'all show. Keep up the good work, bud. Appreciate you as always, T. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. A litmus Diaz is is hitting the ball very well right now. 
Uh, I'm not saying that you know he deserves to be benched or you know what have you. I mean he's hitting 233 on the season, so I mean he's 254 actually. So he's having a good year. I just when it comes down to it, Aledmus Diaz, Trey Mancini. I'm taking Trey Mancini more times than not. And I know people want to sit here and go, well, well, you know, Mancini goes 0 for 4 a lot. Yeah, it's because he plays one game and then takes two days off. Guys will never be able to get into a rhythm if they're not on the field consistently. Alex Bregman, did he get benched? No. What happened? He's ripping the cover off of the baseball now. Why? Because you have to let him find his way out of a slump. That's just how it works. Look in basketball. Your three-point shooter goes cold. How does he warm back up? You keep shooting. You can only shoot your way out of a slump. You can only hit your way out of a slump. Let's go back to the hotline. Martin's calling. Martin, what's going on? All right, all right, all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, Yankees still can't win to save their lives. But anyway, I was calling to clarify uh, something that uh, Delusional Paul called in and, 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 and said yesterday. Okay, he said the Yankees ain't winning right now because they got injuries, right? That is what he said, yes. That's, that, that's what he's blaming it on, okay? Now, when I texted him this weekend, he said, oh, we let y'all win. Oh, this excuse in the book. Come on, man. Get him up with something better. Now, he wants to use the excuse that the Yankees got injuries. The Boston Red Sox whole pitching staff is injured right now, and we still shutting them out. So what's the excuse there? You see what I'm saying? I'm with you. They just, the New York Yankees, their days of winning 27 ships are over. They're going to stay at 27 for an extremely long time, and that's just... The Red Sox are going to win another World Series before the Yankees do. And I'm willing to bet some money on that. Disagree with that wholeheartedly. So, oh, they most, they definitely will because the Yankees, they just can't. They got to learn how to beat the Astros before they beat anybody. And don't the Boston Red Sox need to learn how to, to keep their stars on their, on their salary cap? Well, the Boston Red Sox need to learn how to hire a decent manager because uh, Cora is not the answer. I've been after them to fire him all season long. We should have never got rid of Frank Ona. I don't know why they got rid of that man. He won y'all y'all first championship in a hundred years. I mean, come on, man. But uh, but that's all I have to say. The man's delusional. Now I need to call him. I guess every morning to take his delusional medicine. I guess. Uh, I'll start reminding because he's delusional. But anyway, I love him to death. He's my buddy. But, uh, but yeah, I hate to be the parent right of bad news. The Yankees ain't winning no World Series anytime soon. Thanks for taking my call and go Red Sox. Okay, so Alex Cora was the bench coach for the Houston Astros when they won the World Series in 2017. Immediately after that season, he gets hired by the Boston Red Sox. What does he do in his first season as Red Sox manager? They go 108 and 54 and win the World Series. Why would you want to fire that guy? 
He's only had one losing season in his time in Boston. He went 84 and 78 and 19. He went 92 and 70 and 21. And then so far this season, so he hasn't even had a losing season because the the record I'm looking at is this year so far. They're 57 and 59. Why are you firing that guy? But again, if you can't hold on to Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts, you're not going to win a World Series anytime soon. You're not winning a World Series off of farm players. Do farm players turn out to be great? Of course. However, they turn out to be great. They don't step into the pros and instantly be great. It's not how it works. I mean, everybody in Atlanta wants to talk about how great Michael Harrison and Vaughn Grisham is. Sure, those guys are off to some hot starts. They can't keep this up. Not consistently. Take a timeout right here. When we return to crunch time with Miguez and Mesh, we're going to bring you... James Mesh is going to talk to you about who has the best chance to make the Saints roster. We'll do that on the other side. You're listening to the game. 23-7 Lafayette, one oh four one in Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We'll get into that Miles Brennan conversation a little later on in the show. I've got a, a take or two on, on, on that scenario. Martin's back on the hotline. Martin, you got 60 seconds, bud. What you got? All right. So you said that the Red Sox ain't going to win World Series because they trade away all their good plays. So my response to that is the Yankees got all the good plays and they still can't win World Series. So uh, that's all I got to say about that. And one more thing about Miles Brennan. All he needs to do, take a little time off, head straight down the octane. And come to UL, the better team the last few years in Louisiana. And that's all I got to say about that. There's my 60 seconds and go Red Sox. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate you, Martin. All right. So the the, the whole Yankees Red Sox thing. I mean, uh, the Yankees, yes, they're struggling right now. Yes, they've lost, what is it now, 10 of the last 12. They're still in better shape long-term than the Boston Red Sox are. You've got Boston fans absolutely panicking right now because their front office... You ready for this? So Juan Soto turned down a 15-year, $440 million deal from the Washington Nationals. Rafael Devers is due for a contract extension this offseason. You know what Boston's initial offer was? Eight years, $168 million. That is $8 million a year less than Juan Soto. And Juan Soto was getting $8 million more per year for seven more years. Now, am I saying that Rafael Devers and Juan Soto... Are comparable players? No. No. However, they're pretty close. Rafael Devers should feel utterly disrespected by 8-168. That's terrible. 
Now, you want to give him 12300 Cool. That's a deal. That's something you could work out. 8168 is a slap in the face if you're Rafael Devers. That's horrible. All right, James, your turn. All right, I'll try to make this one quick. So I'm looking at the team. I'm looking at the Saints. You got 53 spots. I think there's about 33 that are already solidified. 32-33. So that leaves you 20 to 21 left. I'm kind of looking at it, also looking at what happened on Saturday. Who do I think has a better chance now to make the roster, and who do I think kind of ruined their chances a little more? Who lessened their chances after Saturday's performance? One player that I'm looking at that improved their chances, Tony Jones Jr. I looked at the running backs. You had Dwayne Washington had a fumble, and you also had Abram Smith, the rookie, the undrafted rookie, who we've been talking about being the RB3. Both of them had fumbles. Not only Dwayne Washington, he got his back, and Ian Book got one of his back, but Abram Smith, he he had the ball punched out at about the one-and-a-half-yard line where the Saints could have sealed the deal and won the game right there and wouldn't have to worry about the collapse that happened in the final two minutes. Tony Jones, when I watched him, he looked explosive like he did last year. I'm almost wondering, was Tony injured last year? Because he just looked like he was slow. He looked sluggish. I didn't understand what was going on. Maybe he's just a preseason machine. But whatever it is, I like what he's looking like right now. He has a very good chance of being the RB3 and solidifying himself in that roster. One player that I don't like, there's actually a couple. And I'm looking at the secondary. Brian Allen, who you recently signed, but let's be honest, the first four corners are pretty much solidified. You got Lattimore, you got Adebo, you got Bradley Roby, who's been looking insane and has been so much more comfortable with the playbook. And then you got the rookie, Alante Taylor. That's your that's four. You usually only keep five. So everyone else, there's five other players right now. Jordan Miller, Bryce Thompson, Brian Allen, Demarcus Fields, and Vincent Gray. Brian Allen and Demarcus Fields, to me, that dynamic duo, I don't want to say needs to go right now, but it is not looking good for them. Demarcus Fields, he gave up the fade route to Jalen Camp for the Texans, the first yep. touchdown, and then he was on the zone coverage on the right side. That was his side. He's the boundary corner. He gives up the other touchdown. He gives up the game-winning touchdown. He gave up two touchdowns, the only two that were given up in the whole game. Whereas Brian Allen, he had the nice pick when Driscoll tried to throw down the right sideline. Cool, you had the you got the underthrown pick. Awesome. Glad for you, bud. But guess what? The next drive, the game-winning drive, you're the one that gets busted on the double move. You're the one that looks silly in a spin cycle. On the double move, giving up a 40-yard pass. And then one or two plays later, you come up another one. Jalen Camp, he, come, he comes at you again. He runs a curl, quick hitch, whatever you want to call it. Spin move off you, break the tackle. Spin move on someone else, spin move, picks up 15, 20 yards to set up the touchdown for the other Texans receiver. It's like you two folded in the last minute. Y'all were looking okay. Y'all weren't really standing out. Getting amazing picks. Brian Allen got the good pick. Cool. But when it came down to it, they they ruined their chances when it came down to the end. And Bryce Thompson, 
I feel like he has a better chance at this point because of his special teams ability. Well, that and the fact that he's not going to technically take up a roster spot because he's on the IR. He is currently on the IR, which another player you could look at is you could grab Jordan Miller. Yep. A guy that I thought stood out very nicely and may have improved his chances. What about a guy like Dejon Dixon? You know, he's kind of been a dark horse at wide receiver throughout camp. The Nichols product. He had the most receptions in the game. Three catches, 33 yards, and the three catches was on four targets. Yeah. He was efficient. I, I, I was impressed by Dejon Dixon. Another player that I really liked that I think improved his chances, Chase Hansen. Look at the first play from scrimmage. He blows up the run on Marlon Mack for a two-yard loss. Comes back later, gets the the tipped ball interception, and he returns it about 35, 40 yards. Sets up good field position. Then he had another tackle for loss. I think he, he had six total tackles for the game in the limited time that he played. He made himself an impact. Just also the fact that he was signed recently. Yep. He he was very impressive. And then one one more guy that I think lowered his chances, Traquan Smith. Bud, you were supposed to be the wide receiver one last year. You're out here for the majority of the time. You get two targets. You only catch one of them. And your other target, it's a fade ball to the back left of the end zone on third down. Here's your chance to prove yourself. The Texans corner knocks it away from you, and your head is on the field because you're like, I can't believe I just let that happen. How are you in for that long and you only get two targets when you're supposed to be at worst, the four. Because you were supposed to be the one last year. Bye. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. He can go, and Ian Book can go. I'm Are not you? I'm not fully out on Ian Book. Ooh, but glad you're not. Everybody else is. But look, you don't completely get rid of him. You just keep him as your practice squad guy. You only run two QBs. You run Jameis and you run Andy. And then you have Taysom as an emergency three because he's had the history of being a QB. You keep him at tight end unless it's an absolute emergency. And then the following, you you elevate Ian Book. You know how much I hate I hated Ian Book's performance? How much? This guy hasn't played in the NFL in like four years. And I'd bring him in as the practice squad guy before I let Ian Book be that role. Who would that be? Colin Kaepernick. Colin's been out since 2016. However long. Four years, five years, six, ten years. I don't care. I'd put him on the practice squad before I put Ian Book on the practice squad. He was that bad. And he was that bad against Miami last year. Every opportunity that guy... And now I understand the game against Miami last year. He's getting thrown to the wolves. The cards were stacked against him. I understand. You got to show at least a little bit of upside. You showed none. The only ups this is the only upside Ian Book showed Saturday night was the fact that he ran the ball four times for twenty two yards. That's it. It's the only thing Ian Book did that I could take away and say was impressive. The way he was able to escape the rush occasionally. Because he was sacked five times. Nah, get out of here. Next. Go sign somebody else. 
The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The red-hot Houston Astros take on the Baltimore Orioles Saturday, August 27th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game in Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Take a time out when we return. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider will join us for a preview on the Tennessee Volunteers right here on the game. It's 137 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to talk the Volunteers of Tennessee here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider joining us on the game hotline. Ryan, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Appreciate you guys uh, having me on again. So let's look at this football team. You know, 7-6 and six last year. They've got a lot coming back. 15 starters returning if you look at both sides of the ball. You know, this season under Josh Heupel, what's kind of the, the vibe around Knoxville? What's the expectation? Well, I think there's certainly, when you look at vibe, I mean, I think a lot more excitement than there's been in many years. Probably, I think you have to go all the way back to that 2016 uh, season. The time last, the, there was this kind of buzz around the team and energy around the program. And it's really night and day different if you want to just look at last year, when I'm not sure going into Heifel's first year with the cloud of the NCAA investigation and obviously the pour into the Jerry Pruitt era, I'm not sure there's hardly ever been as much apathy uh, around the football team as there was. And then obviously I think that's changed pretty radically this year. And I think when you look at what Tennessee can do on the field, I think this is a team that's probably going to be somewhere between seven and nine regular season wins. And obviously we'll see what happens in a potential bowl game. But uh, the offense, I think, especially Hendon Hooker's return, gives a lot of reason for optimism. And if the defense can take some major steps forward, uh, Tennessee could have a chance to have one of its better seasons here in the last decade. Talked about him and Hooker being back. He's back as one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC. Ryan, what makes him so special? I think his efficiency uh, more than anything. Uh, you go back and look at last year, 31 touchdowns, just three interceptions. Uh, he took care of the ball. He made correct decisions, and he was accurate. Uh, you go back to those first five quarters of the season when Joe Milton was Tennessee's starting quarterback, and Tennessee couldn't hit a deep ball. They, couldn't, they had opportunity after opportunity. Uh, guys running open down the field, and he, Milton struggled to, to find them. And then when Hooker came in and replaced him due to an injury, kind of I think early in the second quarter of the pit game week two, he was able to make those throws down the field. And the strength of Josh Heifel as a football coach and his ability as an offensive play caller to scheme guys open, Hooker really, I think, fully capitalized on that. And when you combine that with his overall efficiency and ability to take care of the ball and then the things that he can do with his legs too, he's not – uh, an elite runner by any means, but he's also very, very capable. I believe he ran for around 600 yards a season ago and did the same the year before at Virginia Tech. I think all those things combined uh, is the reason that he was really effective for Tennessee last year and the reason that he's a preseason uh, second-team All-SEC player. Who for you, Ryan, is standing out the skill position players? I know a couple names are Cedric Tillman and Jabbar Smith that I've been hearing about so, thus far. Yeah, I think Cedric Tillman's the obvious one. Uh, I, he's Tennessee's first 1,000-yard receiver since 2012 last year, and 
he did that, you know, almost solely in the last two months of the season. He was really quiet uh, the first four or five games of the year. And he was a guy that coming into last season only had eight career catches in three years in the program. So uh, he kind of came out of, of nowhere to a degree. It was a really two-star recruit, I believe, or maybe low three-star at Tennessee. Signed just before uh, signing day back when Jeremy Pruitt was the coach. And he was fantastic last year. Uh, I think he's going to be their best skill position player. He's kind of the known uh, Jabari Small at running back, who you mentioned. He, he was banged up for a lot of last year. He didn't miss a ton of time, but with a shoulder injury, he really struggled to finish games. He's put on about 15 pounds this offseason. They hope uh, that, he, that will lead to a little bit more consistency from him. And the guy I would really look for more of a breakout, you know, both those guys were starters last year, uh, would be Jalen Hyatt. He, he played a little bit in the slot behind Valus Jones Jr., who's now with the Chicago Bears. He's expected to be the full-time starter, and there's been a lot of buzz around him really going back to the spring and then the fall camp is a guy that could have a really big season in Tennessee's offense. Ryan, looking up front for both you know the offensive side and the defensive side, very experienced. You've got four starters back on offense, 91 career starts among them. You also have two back on the defensive line. How important is that for, for Josh Heupel's team to have so much experience in the trenches? I think it's huge, especially when I think what's overlooked or maybe misunderstood about Heupel's offenses with the, the big pass plays, I think people think of it as being more of an air raid or really, really heavy on the passing side of the offense. It's really not. It's really 50-50 on running and passing. So I think that's the return they have in the offensive line, especially in the interior with all three starters back, should be big uh, for the run offense. And then the position battle probably maybe bigger than any other one in fall camp is that left tackle spot that they're trying to figure out between Gerald Mincy, uh, Florida transfer, and then Jeremiah Crawford as those two guys battle it out. That's the big question on the offensive line. And then when you turn to the defensive line, uh, I think you look at who can replace Matthew Butler, who was a Raiders draft pick uh, in later rounds. He was really good in the interior, just played an absurd amount of snaps this season ago. I think he played over 100 snaps more than any other Tennessee defensive lineman over the course of the season. That's kind of when you look at the interior. Uh, when you look at the out- outside guys, defensive ends, Tyler Barron and Byron Young, both those guys are back from last year. But to me, that might be one of the biggest questions on the team is how much better can those guys get? Byron Young is on the preseason first-team All-SEC list. He just had about five-and-a-half sacks last year after transferring from junior college, but was a lot better as the season went on. Tyler Barron is a sophomore last year. That was his first year playing a lot of reps. I think those guys have shown potential. And Tennessee's pass for a spring and four wasn't very good last year. Those guys give it a reason to believe that it could be better. And when you look at the secondary, that I think is probably going to be the biggest weakness of this team, and I think it would go a long way for those two guys to make a big step and uh, make life a little bit easier for the guys in the back end. Talking about the defense, you know, top three tacklers back from 2021. You hit on it a little bit, but kind of go a little bit deeper about the strengths of this experienced defense. Yeah, I think it's the experience is the strength of it, and maybe the defense line. You have a lot of bodies back that, that played. You have your two best pass rushers back. You have your three leading sack guys when you include Jeremy Banks who plays inside linebacker as well and then uh, when you look at the linebacker spot it's that you have really Tennessee just played three guys at linebacker last year all three of those guys are back you bring Juwan Mitchell who was a Texas transfer in last year and got hurt early in the season there's been a lot of buzz around him this offseason I think he's a guy that could really boost Tennessee's defense and you look how do they make tangible improvements from a season ago I think he's a guy uh, that gives belief that that can happen. And then the back end is really where uh, I think as a whole the defense is the weakness of this team, and I think the back end is the weakness of the defense. It was a 
secondary that wasn't very good last year, and it was a secondary that wasn't very good when they had Theo Jackson, who went, I believe, the sixth round of the Tennessee Titans, and then Alante Taylor, who I came on uh, with you guys back in April or May, whenever that would have been, to talk about him going to the Saints in the second round. Those were two good players. Those were two NFL draft picks, and both those guys are gone, and the secondary that even whipped them was mediocre at best and even had some games where it was really, really bad. So a lot of bodies there. They have, honestly, good depth to kind of go along. Besides those two guys, they bring back just about everybody uh, in that back defensive backfield. But how much better can those guys get? They bring in a transfer, Wesley Walker from Georgia Tech, Andre Turrentine from Ohio State. Can those guys help them out? Uh, can any of the freshmen last year who played a little bit and weren't overly effective take a big jump in a second uh, season, collegiate season? Those are kind of the question marks, I think, that stand out when you look at Tennessee's defense. Ryan, last question I've got for you. You open up the season with Ball State on a Thursday night. Then you've got Pitt, who is a good team, but they've lost a lot. You know, Kenny Pickett going to the NFL. Jordan Addison's now at USC, so they've got a lot to replace. But then you get to the end of September. You have Florida coming to Knoxville. You got your bye week. Then you come to Baton Rouge to play LSU. And then you go back home to play Alabama. And then you round out October with Kentucky and then Georgia. I mean, just some brutal stretches right there for the Vols. You know, just kind of talk about the the schedule and what you're seeing from your perspective. You're right. And to me, I kind of look at, I said that, seven to nine wins in the regular season. I think you kind of look at Tennessee's schedule, handicapping things. I think you got two games that would be real big upsets they win, being Georgia and Alabama. I think you have trying to do some quick math here, five games that you would expect to be uh, games they should take care of. The three by games out of conference, you named one of them there, Ball State. They also get Akron, UT Martin. And then you have the two SEC games, Vanderbilt and Missouri. I think this should be games Tennessee expects to win would be big upsets if they lose any of them. And then they got the five games in the middle who going into the season I really think can go either way. You got the game at Pittsburgh. You got the game at home against Florida, the game at LSU, uh, at home against Kentucky, and then second to last of the season, second to last game of the season at South Carolina. So that's kind of where you know you win two of those games, two of those five games. You're looking at seven wins, three, eight, which is probably where I will land on my preseason prediction, and if they can win four of them, that would be a nine-win season the first Tennessee's had since all the way back in 2007 in the regular season. So that's kind of a handicap look at the schedule. Uh, I think the LSU, uh, the Pitt game, Florida game, those three games being the first ones are huge. Florida's been such uh, just a game that's plagued Tennessee over the last 15 years, and certainly it being Billy Napier's first year, I think an opportunity to get a win. And kind of the one schedule note that I would say on the LSU game that stands out to me is I think Tennessee does get LSU to a good spot just because, you, like you mentioned, Tennessee's coming off uh, an early season bye week going into that game. They do have Alabama on the other end of it, but I think when you look at LSU's schedule, if I believe, I can't remember what's the order of it. I think maybe Auburn on the front end and then Florida on the back end. But that that Tennessee game for LSU is sandwiched between road trips to those two games, which I think will obviously you guys know better know better than me, but will be big games in Brian Kelly's first year. So for specifically that game, I think it's one that kind of matches up at a nice spot for Tennessee, but should be a grueling schedule as always. Tennessee and Auburn, too. Two programs that have to play the Crimson Tide and Bulldogs every year. It doesn't make for an easy slate by any means. No doubt about it. Ryan Shumpert, a Rocky Top Insider, joining us for a preview on the Tennessee Volunteers. Ryan, appreciate you taking the time. Great work as always, my man. And uh, when when that game rolls around on October 8th, we'll have you on for, for a game week preview. 
Yeah, sounds great. Give me a call, and I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of football to discuss uh, between then and uh, now. Absolutely, Ryan. Appreciate you. And there he goes, Ryan Shumpert of RockyTopInsider.com. Football season is here, and we here at the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to crown you the tailgating king. The ultimate tailgate giveaway presented by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. Score $500 to chop specialty meats, a new grill with accessories, a cooler, set of chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, tickets to the Tigers and the Raging Cajuns, and much more. Enter in the Game Rewards Club, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. Take time out, wrap up our number one on the other side. You're listening to the game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. James, there's three things that we got to get to right here in this final segment before we end our number one. First things first, LSU basketball getting a major commitment this afternoon. Corey Chest, he's the number one player in the state of Louisiana for the class of 2023. He's a four-star forward. He has committed to Matt McMahon and the Tigers. So big, monumental story again for the Tigers as they sign the top recruit from the state of Louisiana in the 2023 class. He's from McMain High School in New Orleans, 6'8", 180 pounds, and he had offers from Houston, Kansas, Ole Miss, and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, as well as Texas A&M and Vandy. So he had a lot of offers choosing to stay home with the Tigers. So big news there. Also, some NFL news of note. The New England Patriots have placed Malcolm Butler on the IR. Doesn't specify as to why, but just he's on the IR. That's a big story. The Raiders have also released veteran defensive tackle Vernon Butler and wide receiver Demarcus Robinson. Now, defensive tackle has not really been a position of need for the Saints, but a guy like Vernon Butler? Do the Saints maybe pick up the phone? James, what do you think? I'm not too sure about that since you've already added a couple of people from the line, and I'm not huge on him. I He's not a high name, but you, already, you just got Nico Lalos the other day. You just brought back Jaleel Johnson after releasing him a week ago. Uh, you could do it, but to me, that just shows a sign that you don't like how your defensive line is looking, which I don't disagree with. Peyton Turner could not get past the second-string lineman for the Texans. I didn't see much out of the other ones in Carl Granderson and Tano Passigno and Malcolm Roach. I didn't see much pressure from them. They got there late, but the sacks didn't show up. The QB pressure didn't show up, especially late. Yeah. I just I like Vernon Butler's skill set and I think he could provide a lot to the Saints, but I do get where you're coming from where I, I don't know that it's a hundred percent necessary. Um just, like you still you still have about twenty players at that position that right, you could fill. Right. Uh, also, how about a fight at Patriots camp? 
apparently Mac Jones threw a touchdown pass and he went up to Brian Burns and said, hold my blank, you little blank. Which apparently started a massive brawl. So props to Mac Jones for for starting fights at Patriots camp, I guess. You know, it is what it is. Hour number two. How about Glenn Gilbo coming on and talking about Skip Burtman, his new Skip Burtman book, Everything Matters in Baseball, the Skip Burtman story. And then at 530, we're going to the moon to talk about the Houston Astros. Bad loss last night. Can they rebound tonight? We'll, we'll bring you the update of the poll question here in the second hour as well. Don't go anywhere. Two-minute drill. Top of the hour sports update coming up next here on the game. It's 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, my headset broke. Hour number two of two. It's Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, 502 on your Tuesday afternoon. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. And now we are joined by Mr. Glenn Gilbo of outkick.com and the author of the new skip Burtman book everything matters in baseball the skip Burtman story glenn thanks for taking the time how are you sure sure how are you i'm doing well you know talk about the this book and you know obviously it, it, it wasn't written overnight you know just kind of talk about the process and the inspiration behind putting the story together it was not written overnight that's for sure um a lot, a lot of interviews, and I, I do all my tra- own transcribing because it, it just helps you remember it more. And I, I started in 2019 and uh, finished uh, right at the end of 2021. Um, and um, you know, while I had a full time job, so it was, it was pretty difficult. But it was, it was fun because I, I knew the material, having covered Skip going back to his first year at LSU. So, uh, it was, that was kind of second nature there. And, um, the players were great. You know, all the players I talked to, cause they, they love talking about skip. You know, you, you said that the, you started in the interview process in, in 2019. When did the plan, you know, when did you, when did it happen that you sat down and said, you know, I want to write this book. When did the plans for the book first come into play? Well, that was not me. Um, Skip and uh, Eric Lane, who's with Jerry Lane Enterprises, and, and um, he's a car dealer in, in Baton Rouge, uh, and a friend of Skip, they they hatched the idea, and they got Leo Honeycutt, who um, did the Edwin Edwards book several years ago, an accomplished author, and uh, he, he started the book, and, and it, Skip didn't like it, so they kind of changed their mind. And then Skip asked me to do it before the um, LSU Southeastern football game in 2018. I just happened to bump into him in the press box, and he and Dan Canavary, and we we talked about it. And uh, I was very interested, and and um, did an introduction for him in G- the following January, and he liked that. And then I just I got started sending him chapter here, chapter there. So Skip, 
you know, obviously winning five national championships at LSU in baseball, he's kind of an LSU staple, if you will. And obviously, you know, you like you said, you had a relationship with him already, having covered the team since his first season. But interviewing the players, interviewing his family, maybe even interviewing him, what was it like putting this book together? Well, interviewed him probably more than anyone um, at his kitchen table in uh, near LSU, where he's lived ever since eighty four, nineteen eighty three, and uh, just did a lot of interviews with him and Dan Canavary, his longtime uh, pitching coach. He was uh, totally accessible and and uh, gave me all the numbers to all the players and and other people uh, to talk to. And he's, uh, you know, skips in his early 80s, but he's got a real sharp memory for detail. And and uh, that's what really made the book, that and the uh, and the player interviews. You know, Skip had a, had an uh, idea of what he wanted in the book. And I tried to follow his idea as much as possible. Now, taking a deeper look into Skip, what were some things that, Maybe more casual fans or just people that didn't know about him, people maybe more my age, that they may not know about. Well, everybody knows he won five national championships. He could have really won seven or eight, but but um, he and he also hired four coaches who won national championships: uh, Paul Maneri, Les Miles, Chuck Winstead in golf, and Dennis Shaver in track. So really. He won nine national championships in a way. So, in fact, that's what I told him when I first started talking to him about the book. I said, you know, you're the MVP of the LSU Athletic Department. Nobody else has had their hand in nine national championships like that as a coach and an athletic director. Um, and I, I think maybe not all people realize just what a master of the, of the game he was. I mean, players were in awe of him. You know, the media tends to get in awe of coaches as soon as they start winning. But but the players at LSU, even before he started reeling off the national titles, really just thought he was some kind of a soothsayer. You know, he was always predicting stuff that was going to happen during the game. And players were just uh, amazed by that. So I think the, the uh, his knowledge of the game and just the awe that players and coaches had for him is was maybe uh, I didn't really realize while I was covering him. Now, Glenn Skip has the ability, or or it's been documented that he has the ability to kind of be a little bit on the funny side, a little bit of a jokester, <laughs> maybe. Kind of talk about the humorous side of of Skip Bertman. Well, you know he he's got the perfect combination because really, I mean, in his earlier years at LSU, I mean he was a taskmaster, much like. Nick Saban and, and a perfectionist, and you know, and and some coach, some players didn't didn't like him. You know, they definitely liked him kind of after it was over. But uh, he knew how to be funny too. You know, it's like Ronnie Rance and some other players told me that uh, they'd be jogging, you know, at the end of practice out outside Alex Box, and Skip would pass him in his in his big Ford Lincoln and blow cigar smoke at him while they're sweating and running, you know. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But, um, you know, he, he kept them laughing, uh, definitely. Uh, and, you know, he, he never forgot to let them, let them try to have fun. Now, chat with Glenn Gilbo of OutKick, the writer of the new Skip Bertman story, Everything Matters in Baseball. 
Skip helped move college baseball kind of from the West Coast down to the South right there in the 80s along with Mississippi State. You know, you were covering the Tigers during that time. Talk about, you know, that shift in, in college baseball, bringing it more, you know, down South and into this region. Yeah, well, the the, um, the first time I went to Omaha was in 1989. Uh, I went in 1990, and you know Stanford was was really big. Stanford beat LSU in '87 too, and and won the national championship that year. And and USC was was huge. Um, I think when LSU beat USC in the 1990 regional in Baton Rouge, I think that really kind of might have put the West Coast on on notice, and you know sooner and later, you know just you just saw more and more SEC teams going to uh, going to Omaha, and um, pretty soon you know the players wanted to uh, come to come to the South, and and Skip and Smoke Laval, his top assistant in the early years, you know they recruited nationally big time, um, and they had players from all over the country, so. That's what did it, and and you know you had you had other teams that that got really good too. You know, in the mid '90s, Alabama got really good. Auburn went to the World Series a couple of times. Mississippi State was always good. So sooner, you know, before too long, it, it was uh, all the players were coming to the South. Was there anything new that you learned when you were preparing and making the book? Um. Well, um, just the, the way. Uh, the way Skip developed uh, pitchers, you know, I, I, I used to think, you know, that he just signed the best pitchers. And, and in many cases he did. He signed great pitchers like Ben McDonald and, and um, Curtis Lasanic and Russell Springer. But he also um, made pitchers with average talent learn how to win because he would tell them exactly where to throw it at what speed and, and when in the count. He, he taught people how to pitch, and uh, he, was just, he was just a master at that. I mean, there was, there was a lot of pitchers at LSU who won a lot of games, and they knew they weren't going to be in the majors. Like Hunter Gomez on the 2000 National Championship team, he, he never got to AAA, you know, but he won a lot at, at LSU. And, and then, you know, he had other guys like Chad Ojay who, who got to the majors, and Chad Ojay basically had one pitch all his years at LSU, a fastball. That was about all he had, but he knew where to put it, and that was because of Skip. Lastly, Glenn, you know, the, the book's now out. Tell our listeners where they can they can find a copy if they want to get their hands on it. Uh, it's at um, Acadian, um, acadianbooks.com. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, acadianpress.com. And, and uh, you just go to uh, sports, and it's at the uh, top of the website. And you can order it's uh, it's thirty dollars. Uh, let me let me make sure I got that that website right. Uh, it is it is uh, I'm sorry, AcadianHouse.com. www.acadianhouse.com, and you can order it. And I know some friends ordered it uh, on Monday, and they already have it. You know, so it's 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 getting shipped out really quick. It's right there in Lafayette, Acadian House. Oh, fantastic. Glenn Gilbo, Outkick columnist for the Tigers, as well as the author of the new book, Everything Matters in Baseball. 
the Skip Bertman story. Glenn, really appreciate your time. Looking forward to reading the book, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Okay, thank you. And there he goes, Glenn Gilbo. A couple other books Acadian House has, has done uh, and on side of the Skip Bertman story. You also have The Four Hurdles of Life from Coach Dale Brown and the famous Saints book From Bags to Riches written by Jeff Duncan couple other books that Acadian House Publishing has done. Once again, AcadianHouse.com if you want to get your hands on the new Skip Bertman book, Everything Matters in Baseball. Let's update the poll question of the day, James. Do the Astros win tonight and level up the series with the White Sox? So far, 81.8% of you say yes, and 18.2% say no. It's looking good so far. Yeah. A lot of people are hopeful that they will at least tie the series tonight. So I saw a comparison between Justin Verlander and Dylan Cease. And looking at the numbers, so Justin Verlander has a 1.85 ERA. And Dylan Cease, I want to say it's a 1.96 ERA. So, you know, very close, very comparable. Justin Verlander has the lower whip as well. Yeah, it's a 1.85 and a 1.96. Verlander's 15 and 3. Cease is 12 and 5. Verlander has the lower whip as well. His is slightly above, slightly below 1, and Cease is 1.3. But the, the biggest gap in this is the strikeouts. I mean, Dylan Cease has pitched less innings than Verlander and has struck out 40 more batters. And that is a ma- in less innings. It's absolutely insane the rate that Dylan Cease is is able to to strike people out and again 14 starts this season going on an absolute run. He hasn't given up more than one run. I think in his last 12 starts. So he is on fire. Justin Verlander, obviously, you know, we've talked at nauseum about the things he's been able to do this season. So great matchup tonight. You can listen to it right here on the game. and Or you can do like I'm going to do, and you can listen to it on the game while watching it on MLB.tv. It's the free game of, of the night. So I'm going to be doing both. So feel free to to join me. In doing that, in case you haven't heard, Delta Media is going to be your home for some thrilling high school football here in 2022. St. Thomas Moore on the game, 103.7 Lafayette. Acadiana High on MeTV FM, 97.7. Karen Crow High on Z1059. Southside High on Mustang, 107.1. The Vermilion Parish Game of the Week on 106.3 Radio Lafayette. St. Landry Parish Game of the Week on News Talk 98.5. And Barb on the game 1041 in Lake Charles. Make sure to download the station's free apps to listen to your favorite teams at home or on the road. Delta Media is your home for Friday night football. Take a timeout right here. When we return, we'll bring you audio clips from Michael Desermo as he met with the media yesterday 
after another week of Cajuns practice. You're listening to the game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go yard all summer long with $5 Dinger Tuesdays on FanDuel Sportsbook. This season, all customers will get $5 for every home run hit by both teams when you place a $25 two-hit-a-home-run wager on Tuesday MLB games. And the best part about Dinger Tuesdays is even if your bet loses, FanDuel will pay you $5 for every home run. My home run pick has to be Aaron Judge. He's the home run leader by a large margin and could come close to breaking the record. So what are you waiting for? Pick your home run hitter and turn big swings into big wins. There's no better place to bet America's pastime than America's number one sportsbook. Head over to your FanDuel account or download the FanDuel Sportsbook app using promo code KLWB. That's promo code KLWB when you sign up. You must be 21 or older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. The max bonus is $25. Restrictions do apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. May get your bet on. Get your bet on with that FanDuel. All right. Michael Desermo spoke with the Cajuns media yesterday. And he he opened up with a lot of different topics from the scrimmage Saturday to the quarterbacks to just keeping his team level-headed. Here's Coach Des with his opening statement. All right, so, uh, you know, kind of in, in the dog days of, uh, of fall camp now a little bit, you know, the newness kind of starts to wear off a little bit. And, you know, the challenge, I think, Every day, what you're challenging your teams to do is show up every day and try to make this the best day that you've had since you've been here. You know, we were really pleased with the scrimmage competition, you know, all the way up until that point. You know, practice has been really spirited. You know, yesterday was a little bit of a lull. I think a little bit of a, you know, fatigue sets in a little bit, you know. So today is about bouncing back, going back out there. You know, we're going to have a have another real one today. We're going to strap it on and, and go to work. You know, and I think that's that's the, the, you start to get into it where you start looking too far ahead, right? You start feeling like you're ready for the season. You start feeling like, you know, you're ready to get school started and kind of get into a normal routine. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, three weeks away, you, you got a lot of work to do. And um, that's where we're at. So, you know, had a really good walkthrough this morning. You know, excited about hitting the practice field again today and trying to keep scratching and clawing and get a little bit better. Three weeks until the season gets underway for Desermo and the Cajuns. And like you said, there's still a lot of work to do. The biggest thing is, you still don't know who the quarterback's going to be. You know, I mean, I thought all those guys operated pretty well. You know, to to have as much as we had in and for them to operate, there weren't very many misreads. You know, naturally there's always going to be some throws you miss, but they operated and commanded the team very well. You know, the communication was really good. You know, I think that's something that, you know, I've talked about it quite a bit, right? It's going to come down to who operates within the system the best and – those guys did a really good job, and I mean, I'm not just talking about the first two. I mean, I'm talking about all the way down to, you know, Zeon, you know, the true freshman taking reps. You know, very few uh, mental errors at the quarterback position, which we purposefully, like I said, kept a bunch of things in there to see, you know, who, who's going to sink or swim, right? Who's going to screw it up? We're not, we didn't narrow it down. We wanted to keep it open, and, and they managed it well. Now, James, there, there's still a lot of questions left to answer with this quarterback competition. But Dez set a deadline of August 22nd. That's in six days. We have less than a week to find out. I'm starting to believe that it might be Ben Woolridge. 
my initial gut feeling was always Chandler since, you know, he's been he's been with the Cajuns longer. He's had more time to know it. But when it comes down to it, Ben feels like more of a talented guy. Yeah. You know, I I don't know that I would say that he's more talented. I I think I feel like he can do more. He's he's more athletic, for sure. And then but you see, to, to Chandler's credit, Chandler takes more risks, which can get you in trouble, but when it pays off, it pays off. You look incredible. Um, ben, Ben's a little more passive, going to do things by the book. You know, he, He's going to get the job done. He'll take it when he needs to, when he feels like it. But nothing's going to be flashy about it. So it, it, it's really going to come down to what Mike Desermo is looking for because, again, Chandler is a better passer, but Ben's a better runner. Ben's more athletic. So what do you what do you want to do with your offense is going to be the big question. But one guy that's really been hanging around this football program for a long time and has made an immediate impact since he got here in Lafayette is Eric Garrett. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of expectations for him, right? You know, Eric is one of those guys that, you know, he came in here re- severely under-recruited, right, um, out of high school, came in here with a chip on his shoulder and with a work ethic to match it. And from day one, he's just been one of those guys that goes out there and he is, I mean, as competitive as, as they absolutely get. His knowledge of the game is is way further than what you'd expect, you know, a college cornerback's knowledge of the game to be. He understands splits. He understands concepts. He understands the matches that we're doing in our coverages. And I think for him, you know, a lot of times the communication is inside out, right, from safety to corner. He has the ability to communicate outside in as well and get things on the same page. And I mean, he's constantly talking. He's constantly communicating with what's coming up, kind of coaching them up on what, you know, where we got to be, right, fast to the flat, whatever the case may be. And he – um he does a really good job of it. You know, his leadership is something that, that we value here. And I think for him, it's obviously he needs to go play really good. He needs to continue. I mean, he practices every day like a pro. I mean, that's, that's you know, that's that's why he's what he is. You know, I mean, you don't play Division One corner at 5'9 if you're not wired that way. And he absolutely is. So, I mean, his leadership has been really good for us. And he just needs to keep growing in that role because uh, I know he's going to go play really good for it. You know, Talking about defensive secondary, that's obviously a critical piece of the defense because I mean that's the guy that prevents the most touchdowns. That's the guy, you know, for for the Cajuns, Eric Gary's your punt returner. So he does a lot of things for this team. And while we're on the subject of special teams, you know who else is a commodity? Reese Burns. You gotta have a good punter. Of course. You, you gotta, gotta be able to flip the field. And Reese Burns can definitely do that. He's proven that a time or two. Here's head coach Michael Desermo. Well, I don't know if I've ever heard of a game-winning punt before until we played UAB a couple years ago, and he actually hit a game-winning punt. You know, Reese is, Reese is uh, he's a luxury, you know, I mean, to have. He, obviously, his leg talent is there, all those things. He can do all kind of stuff with the ball. He can make it move however he wants. You know, Reese, Reese understands the game. He knows protections. He understands when he's got to speed it up. He understands when he can hold it. Um, you know, he understands that driving a kick isn't always the best thing. You know, I mean, and, and, and Reese has, has worked really hard this offseason. You know, I was kind of – I was messing with him when he first got here. You know, he didn't really understand how the weight room really made a whole lot of difference for him. And, uh, you know, if you see Reese now, I mean, 
he's worked really hard in the weight room, and I mean, his leg is as live and as active as ever. So, yeah, having a guy like that is, I mean, you know, he's always a weapon. And like I said, I mean, shoot, he won a he won a dang game for us, you know, at UAB a few years back. Speaking of punters who do things exceptionally well, how about Matt Ariza? 82-yard punt. We knew he was talented back in college, but the fact that he is still doing it, people were having questions about, like, would he be able to handle making the change and getting to the NFL? He surely proved it. I watched it live. That thing flew. 82 yards? And people want to say, well, you know, it took a good bounce. Yeah, it did. It hung for 60 which is insane in, in its own right. Sure, it rolled 20 yards, but most guys get a 60-yard punt after it rolls 20 yards. He got 82 yards. First punt he's ever punted in an NFL uniform. He secured the job, for sure. I, I would hope so. I don't need to see anymore. I would hope so. He's not going to kick field goals because, you know, they got Tyler Bass, but... Punting? That's Matt Arise's job. Especially with them playing half the games in Buffalo. You need that whenever it gets cold. Yep. And when the weather starts getting messy. Absolutely. You need that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, crazy stuff from Matt Arise. Great stuff from the Cajuns. You know, we're, we're, we're getting closer and closer. Starting quarterback supposedly going to get named in the next week. College football starts... If you count week zero, the first game's in 11 days. I mean, you, we are knocking on the door of college football season. And once college football season gets here, the NFL season is going to follow the week after. Then you're going to get into basketball. Then you're going to get into hockey. Then you're going to get into the MLB postseason. And this train just ain't going to stop. Things are going to get real wild real quick. So... Train's about to leave the station. If you want to be on the bandwagon, you might want to jump on. Just saying. Take a time out right here. When we return, we're going to the moon. Apollo Daz of Apollo HOU will join us. We'll talk about the game last night, and we'll look ahead to tonight's mega matchup on the mound. You're listening to the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. Fly me to the moon. Driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkes and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Minkes and Nash. Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU. Dez, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good, brother. How are you? Doing well. Dude, I, I got a question number one here. You know, Trey Mancini's been with the Astros. Tonight's going to be game 12. He's out of the lineup again. It seems like it's happening way too often, in, in my opinion. What are you seeing from your side of things? Yeah, it's, a, it's very interesting, right? Um, obviously, we made these trades to shore up positions at first base, left field, um, and catcher. So uh, you would think... The, these guys will get a little bit more run when what they're getting, especially Mancini, who's been showing the power side of things uh, that we've lacked at first base. But 
I've said it on our podcast this week. As long as the locker room is aware of, like, they're not shocked by the lineup card being posted every day and they, they know the game plan, then I'm okay. And that's something we'll, we'll kind of never know. Uh, because right now on the, the Twitter sphere, uh, everyone's in shambles. You know, another thing that a lot of people are talking about with tonight's game is, is Verlander versus Cease. Could be one of the best pitching matchups of the entire season thus far. Who do you think overcomes and why? Yeah, I'm going to lean to Verlander. Uh, we, we have Cease's number. Uh, we jumped on him last year in the ALDS. We jumped on him his entire career. Obviously, he's having a great, great season. Uh, as a baseball fan, I'm just looking forward to, to watching these two guys uh, go to work. But you have to give the nod to Justin Verlander. He, he's, he's been there all season. He's been there his entire career. He's seen it all. And, and look, the White Sox are playing to get into the playoff on the Astros kind of are, are on cruise control. So, um, guaranteed Ray Fields should be raucous again, and uh, they're going to give Justin Verlander uh, a little bit of hate uh, in the crowd. Last night's game being a 4 2 loss for the Strohs, and, and really that came late in, in this one. You know, Jose Arquiti was absolutely dealing for the Astros. You pull him in the eighth for Rafael Montero, and immediately, without even retiring a batter, he walked two and gave up three runs. You know, what do you think went into that decision making? Yeah, that was interesting. I had to watch it on the playback um, as I was texting our thread. I, I missed the game live. I was following uh, via the app, and I was like, well, the peripherals are, are Yukiti's, you know, already in the eighth inning, his pitch count is high, but rewatching the game, you kind of should have just went with the hot hand, and that was Yukiti. And I mean, uh, it was a very interesting decision, to say the least. But look, over 162 things, things tend to even out. We're always on the right side of it over 162. What I'm going to take from it is Jose Yukiti's pitching his tail off, and he's pitching himself into the playoff rotation. And that's what I'm going to take from it. Losses happen over 162. Um, even if it comes to uh, a manager's decision late in the games. But I- I'm going to take the positives, and Bregman's hot, and Yukiti pitches tail off. Speaking of Alex Bregman being hot at the plate, you know, it, it seems like him becoming a father has-, has played a lot into his ability to crank out some base hits and crank out offensive production. Talk about how big it's been for him, for Houston, to have him producing at the plate. Oh, it's huge. I mean, anytime you get Alex Bregman to be Alex Bregman, that's going to lift a team's floor uh, significantly higher. And what we've seen is him be the guy we, we think he could be. And, look, it's it's been something really cool to, to get to know Alex over the last year. And the guy's ultra-competitive. It could be anything he's going to compete. And so um, when he was down and, and things weren't going his way, look, he was getting on base. He was he was on walks. He was doing the little things right. And, uh, he found he found the swing and, and it's starting to pay off dividends. So I'm pumped to see that. Obviously, it elevates the lineup, especially with Jordan kind of going through it a little bit and and t- trying to fight through it a little bit as well. So um, if he's healthy come October with this lineup, I mean that's just huge. You know, you talked about Jordan chatting with Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU. He's kind of struggling right now. I mean, he hasn't hit a home run since the 10th. Before that, it was July 22nd since he had hit or 27th since he had hit a home run you know where where do you see Jordan maybe fighting his way out of the slump that he's in yeah I think maybe it has to do with that wrist a little bit uh that they talked about that he just had to fight through throughout the year but I mean then again it's hard to it's hard to sustain what he was doing 
um, in the in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I think even in the last month, I think his OPS is still around 900, which is insane. We're saying he's struggling, right? So um, I think he'll be all right. This is just the dog days of summer. The, the guys are – they get tired legs. They're human. So um, it happens every year. I'm not too worried about it. These guys will get right in, in September and get ready for October. Lance McCullers Jr. finally back with the Houston Astros and just came out absolutely dominant for the Strohs. Six complete, only two hits, no runs. He struck out five in 81 pitches. How impressive and and how good can he be for Houston down the stretch? Wasn't that fun? I mean, just as a fan of the sport, to see Lance pitch 300 days since his injury – uh, to to know that you know his rehab starts in the minors they weren't great they weren't they weren't sexy lines he was he was getting touched up a bit and to go out there and just give what he did and to throw a good pin today and say he felt great um, is awesome and that that's got to be a shot in the arm for the guys um, in the rotation and the bullpen when you get a a guy like Lance Piccolo Jr. back I mean we know he's a playoff just beast. And we know what he's capable of, but at the end of the day, he's another guy you can lean on. He's a veteran now. He's been he's been with us since the jump of the Golden Age. So you have all these young guys that has another another voice to to bounce ideas off of someone that's shown a lot of playoff success here in Houston. The Astros have a currently a 12 game lead on the division in the AL West over Seattle. They are the top team in the American League by two and a half games. Other than winning, because that's the obvious, what do the Astros have to do to kind of hang on to that spot or maybe even catch the Los Angeles Dodgers as the best team in baseball? Yeah, I think I think the focus is keeping their head down and go to work. I mean, I think we have a lot of games coming back at Minute Maid Park, so um, that'll be a comfortability factor. And just control what you can control. Um, at the end of the day, if if they miss out and they they don't get the number one overall seed across Major League Baseball, but they still have 107, 108 wins, you take that. Uh, I think the focus is get the AL home field advantage and make sure that the American League runs through Houston, and then you just hope that uh, on the other side you can you can win some games on the road in the World Series if we get there. Over the next couple of days, Des, they've got this three game stretch with the White Sox game one already happened, game two tonight. And then, you know, you kind of round out the week and really the the month of August with a big weekend at Atlanta before coming home to play six against the Twins and the Orioles. Kind of talk about this stretch that the Astros are about to go through, again, at Atlanta and then home against the Twins and Orioles. Yeah, I think it's a big uh, week in the sense of is going to keep the guys sharp. Obviously, they're kind of on cruise control in the West right now. Um, they have the two-and-a-half game lead on the Yankees. But these other teams that they're playing are fighting for the playoff lives and, and, and playoff positions. So you know they're coming already on top of playing the Houston Astros and everything that that means. But um, that, I think that's going to keep them locked in and engaged. It's not, yes, this is the dog days, but you're not playing against, you know, the Cincinnati Reds or you're playing in Oakland. You're, you're, you're playing somewhere that is just – you know, you can you can go through the motions. You you have to be kind of dialed and locked in because these teams are competing for to get into October. So I think it's actually a great a great test uh, for the team to stay engaged and, and see where they're at uh, going into September. 
But at the end of the day, they're going to have to take it pitch by pitch, inning by inning, and they're the best to do it. So uh, I'm excited just as a fan to, to watch these guys play and compete against some, some teams that are hungry to get in the playoffs. Over under, this this is my last one for you, over under the Astros win 102 games. Over. I'm going to take over. I said 110, and it's a very high number, but I'm just going to have to keep I'm going to have to keep doubling, tripling down. So I'm going to take the over 102. Impressive. I like the confidence. Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU joining us for To the Moon. Dez, appreciate your time each and every week, brother. Between you and Brian, you guys do great stuff with us, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Tune in next week for another edition of To the Moon here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. I don't want James as my wingman. Just being honest. It's probably for the best. <laughs> that's just that's just not something that that interests me. I'll give you advice. May not be the best advice, though. You never know. <laughs> Crunch time with me, guys, and mesh on a Tuesday afternoon. 50 minutes after the hour. Got a couple minutes left in today's show. You know, one thing that, that's been circulating, obviously, we, we can't talk basketball without talking about Kevin Durant and a a news report has come out saying that the New Orleans Pelicans are unwilling to part with Brandon Ingram in a deal for Kevin Durant that's what we want to hear that's what we want well not only is that what we want to hear you don't say of course they don't want to depart with Brandon Ingram but you also don't know with some of these these front offices sometimes because you think you know what they want and you think you know what they're thinking, but at the same time, they'll make a deal, and you're like, what the hell? Hey, let's just say this. People people thought David Griffin had done a bad job and might be on the fence for his career. All of a sudden, he's a genius. Trade Brandon Ingram and see what's going to be said about you. Let's do that. See what what happens there when... uh, when that trade goes down. Catch us outside. How about that? Yeah. Man, good, that, good job, how man. long ago was that? that oh, was, God. That was like 2017? 2016? Maybe, maybe earlier than that. I think it might have been 2016. Man. That feels ancient. You know how much money she has? Oh, too much. It's unreal. You know she has a music career? Oh, yeah. Bad, bad baby or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's no. her name. She ridiculous. I remember hearing somebody being like, "Oh, it's Bahad Bahabi, Bahad Bahabi." <laughs> oh my god, a bad Bahabi. Um, I'll be I'll be honest. It's not it's not good music, but like there is a one part of the song. I'm like, okay, I mess with this a little bit. It it does have a little bit of a flow. It's not that bad, but overall, what I listen to as an artist. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to knock on wood here because I don't want to jinx anything. It hasn't rained today. Oh, you're oh, you're playing with outside forces. You don't want to mess with, boy. <laughs> it has not rained today. You do today. not want to mess with that. Which is, which is nice because I washed my car. I spent a lot of money to wash my car because, I, A, I live in an apartment complex. I don't have anywhere to wash my car myself and, 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 and be what I look like. <laughs> Run that thing through an automatic call today. Anyways, it hasn't <laughs> rained. That reminds me of something. So the other day, we there are some new kids at our neighborhood. 
Okay. And they've come by a couple of times. Like, I respect the grind, but on Saturday... They're trying to watch your car? They got to that at one point, but initially they were like, can we mow your lawn? I'm like, okay. no. <laughs> so, uh, no, you're, you're like 12. Plus, I don't even mow the lawn. My parents like take too much pride in that. They don't even let me touch it. I'm like, whatever. That's fine. And then they're like, okay, well, can we wash your car? I'm like, I wash my car myself. They're like, okay, well, what about the inside? Like, same thing. So they Detail just, and service. they're just looking to do whatever. I'm like, I, in my mind, I'm like, I respect the grind, but like, stop asking me questions. Leave me alone. Because they also came earlier a couple weeks ago and was like, if we have a question, if you get it wrong, you give me $5. I'm like, what? What is going on? They, they're just looking for any way to make some money. And look, like I said, I respect Love the grind, the but stop, leave us alone. <laughs> stop asking us these questions. Well, hey. You know, tell those neighborhood kids. So I'm about to move into a new house in October, and I'm not going to disclose the address because I don't want people. I would hope not. I don't want people hunting me down. Anyways, I don't have a lawnmower because I live in an apartment. However, now I'm going to need one. So if those kids want to come cut the grass, just supply their own lawnmower. I mean, I'll throw like ten bucks their way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll help them out. I'll give them something. What is this, like an Ed, Ed, Nettie situation? I mean, hey. But you're not building, like, amusement parks? No, not building amusement parks. But, you know, again, if they if they want to make a little bit of money and they're, and they're willing to work for it, I mean, they got to pass the test. I mean, the yard's got to look good. Of course. I'm not just going to pay them, just push it around. Hey, I cut it. No, that's not how that's going to work. But, yeah, I mean, I could throw 10 bucks their way. I mean, why not? Why not? Why not? We love helping the youth. <laughs> we love helping the youth of Acadiana. Anyways, a couple other things we need to get to before we get out of today's show. Aesop Winston. Aesop Winston he recently, claimed. He recently got released by the Saints, and he just got claimed by the Browns. So good good to see him get another opportunity. Scale of 1 to 10, rate the John Bostic signing. A 6. I think he's a solid run defender. I don't know if he'll end up making the roster. We'll have to see what this next game does. Since, I mean, the only way you're going to make it is if you make plays on the field and on the practice. But haven't heard anything from practice so far, so I better see something on Friday night. I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, he's a good run defender, but he can't really do anything else. And I think he'd be nothing more than a depth piece. Well, yeah. You 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 bring him in and sub out Pete Warner whenever or DeMario if they need a break or if they're injured. He's a solid player to come in for a couple plays while Warner and Davis either get checked out or take a breather. Does Zach Bond make it through 2022 alive? Zach Bond? That, uh, he's also on the list of, I don't know about that one. I'm, I don't think there's too much of a shot. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so either. All right, tomorrow, it's Wednesday. So, James, what does that mean? It's a Huda Wednesday. Brendan Ertle going to join us tomorrow. We'll have some more up our sleeves for you. But, of course, we got to leave you in suspense for that. Join us tomorrow, 4 to 6, same time, same station. It's the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well. Hug your mom and them. The Astros coming up at 640 right here on your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.